It's time for This Week in WordPress, episode number 222, entitled The Busiest Woman in WordPress. This episode was recorded on Monday, the 19th of September, 2022. My name's Nathan Wrigley. I will be joined by three fabulous guests. We have Michelle Frechette. We also have Amber Hines and we have Marcus Burnett as well. We're here, as always, to talk about the WordPress news. And what are we talking about this week? Well, first of all, we talk about a video which Justin Tadlock made all about what's coming in WordPress 6.1, which is now just around the corner. We also get into whether or not WebP should be part of WordPress core or whether it should be something called a canonical plugin. What even is that? We then get into a long discussion about Michelle's experience at WordCamp US over the last week or so and how there were some problems for her from an accessibility point of view. GoDaddy have also launched in beta their new managed WordPress stores. We talk extensively about what's in it and what you can expect from it and how, if you're in the US, you can get involved testing it out. We then get into a bit of WordCamp news. The new WordCamp US dates have been announced and also they're looking for speakers for WordCamp Asia. We then get into, well, a few little bits rounding off. We talk about Beaver Builder's new update. We talk about some nice new AI. And right at the end, a very brief conversation about why people don't talk about their salaries. It's all coming up next on This Week in WordPress. This episode of the WP Builds podcast is brought to you by GoDaddy Pro, the home of managed WordPress hosting that includes free domain, SSL and 24-7 support. Bundle that with the hub by GoDaddy Pro to unlock more free benefits to manage multiple sites in one place, invoice clients, and get 30% off new purchases. Find out more at go.me forward slash WP Builds. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be. Um, very nice to have you with us, joining us. If you fancy making this a uh, far more interesting experience, then go out and tweet it or something like that. You know, go to uh, go to whatever social platform it is that you love. And here's the URL for that. It's wpbuilds.com forward slash live, wpbuilds.com forward slash live. And you never know, uh, we may get some of your comments on the screen later. I am joined, as always, this is episode number 222, by the way. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by one of my co-hosts, the ever- the ever-present Michelle Frechette. Uh, Matt Mullenweg uh, said that basically she's the hardest-working person, I'm going to say, in WordPress. Um, what, this, what was his exact words? <laughs> he called me the busiest woman in WordPress. Oh, it's busiest. <laughs> Sorry, I've slightly butchered that. But uh, yeah, we're joined, as, as so often is the case, by Michelle Frechette. And uh, I'll go through her full biography. She's the Director of Community Engagement for Stella WP at Liquid Web. Oh, you've written it in there. The busiest, busiest woman in WordPress, according to Matt Mullenweg. It has to and be it, in my bio now. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly. <laughs> I think it should be a t-shirt. Um, in addition to her work at Stella WP, Michelle is the 
podcast barista at wpcoffeetalk.com. She's the co-founder of underrepresentedintech.com, creator of wpcareerpages.com, lots of .coms, the president for the board of bigorangeheart.org, director of community relations and contributor at poststatus.com, author, business coach, and a frequent organizer and speaker at WordPress events. She lives outside Rochester, New York, where she's an avid nature photographer. And if you want to find out more about her on a personal level, you can go to meet michelle.online. Thank you for joining us as a co-host again. Really appreciate it, Michelle. Always good to be here. Thank you. We're also joined, let's just go round the screen in the sort of order it's presented. Next up, we got Marcus. How are you doing, Marcus Burnett? Great. How are you? Yeah, yeah, really good, Marcus. Uh, well, in fact, actually, there is some commonality here, isn't there? Like this time last week, we were more or less all of us uh, hanging out in exactly the same place. I hadn't really thought about that, but look, yeah, we all went to WordCamp US, which was really nice. I met, met Marcus there as well. And Marcus is a part of the GoDaddy Pro events and community team. He's one of the co-hosts of the Do The Woo podcast and a team rep for the WordPress photo directory. How did your contributor day thing for the for the photo um, directory go was that fun yeah it was great we uh had a little bit of internet stability issues reliability mm. issues in the building so we decided to go for a photo walk and so we uh grabbed our grabbed our gear walked around the town and country and snapped away had some good conversations along the way about how we can push some of the things forward so i think it was great Oh, highly productive. That's, yeah, that's really Yeah, you could totally pivot. You didn't need online, which is kind of nice. Yeah, that's great. Anyway, so there we are, Marcus Burnett. And finally, joining us join, at a, a sort of late edition. I don't mean it to sound the way that came out, but um, we did have somebody, Sean Hesketh was going to join us, but he's unfortunately unwell. And I would really, really like to thank uh, Amber Hines for ste stepping in at the last minute. How are you doing, Amber? I'm doing great. You noticed my little, like, I'm going to change my comma to a dash because everyone else had a dash there just a second ago. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, it's been a while since I've been on. I got to remember. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you got to do it right. You got to do it right. How but, do I uh, fit in? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Amber is uh, suffering from slight technical problems. And uh, so the camera is not the usual one. But it, to me, it still yeah. looks fine, Amber, to be honest. It looks really good. So Amber is the CEO of Equalized Digital Inc., a certified B Corp specializing in WordPress accessibility, maker of the accessibility checker plugin and lead organizer of the WordPress Accessibility Meetup and WP Accessibility Day Conference. You are going to have to school me, Amber, because I honestly don't know what a, a certified B Corp uh, is. What's a B Corp? So a B Corp is a for-profit company that is organized for the benefit of more than just the shareholders. So oh. it has a triple bottom line. So it benefits to shareholders benefits the employees and benefits the broader community. And there is a C, um, uh, nonprofit organization that you can go through a whole process in order to become certified. So they do a ton of reviewing of everything from your employee handbook to your financials, to um, just a whole bunch of different practices that you have out in the world and within your organization. And then if you get a certain point, you are able to be certified. So it's a full on, like it, it's not just the thing which you stick on it. It really is a proper endeavor to get that certification. That's nice. Yeah, I think it was about six months. 
to oh, get yeah. the certification. Yeah. Oh, oh, bravo. Um, I'm not going to say, uh, Amber and I only will know about this, but I'm not going to say awesome, Amber. I'm just going to try and, <laughs> we, had, we had a long discussion. I, I've that. been trying not to say awesome quite as much as our yeah, conversation right. late at yeah. night. At <laughs> we had a fun conversation in a bar. Let's just leave it that way. Uh, okay. Extraordinary, but it is not awesome. It is. We'll settle for that. Um, Cameron Jones says, who are these people? Hello, Cameron. Cameron's joining us, as he always does, from Australia. Uh, what is this channel? It's been so long, I don't recognize it. Yeah, three weeks, Cameron. We've had That is to say, we, there have been three weeks gap uh, just because of travel and things. You know, I went on holiday with my family and then was WordCamp US, which just about crossed out two of the weeks. But we're back. Uh, so that's great. And I don't know who this Facebook user is, which will lead me to a comment in a moment. But uh, sorry, missed the beginning. Are the comments banned today because of the funeral? I am not going there. Um, and, but they say only half in jest. The way you are going to identify yourself, if you want to drop into Facebook, that's fine. But the Facebook platform does one thing right. And it does the anonymization of things unless you specify you want to tell us who you are. Uh, I say one thing, right? That's highly inflammatory, isn't it? But you need to carry out one additional step if you want us to know what your face looks like or your avatar uh, and your name. And that is to go to chat.restream.io forward slash FB. It'll be in the, the post right at the top of where you're viewing this. And if you do that, then we can see who you are. So whoever that person was uh, didn't. But we also have Peter Ingersoll. Joining us from Connecticut. Hello, Peter. We've also got Courtney. Hey, Cameron. Hey, Peter. Courtney, we're gonna we're gonna mention the bit that you you pushed in my direction the other week. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll help out a little bit. Oh, it's Peter. Oh, Peter, you're on as well. God, this is weird. Um, yeah, that's really unusual. Uh, and Peter says, "Hey, Courtney. Well, very nice. Nice to have you all with us. Let's get stuck into the main event. What we're supposed to be here talking about. First off." We're WP Builds. I don't know if you know this, by the way, but WP Builds, we are actually sponsored by Marcus's company, GoDaddy Pro. You can see it there on the on the main website. About, oh, I would say about five months ago, um, they decided to take out a full year sponsorship of, of WP Builds and fully keep the lights on for a full year. And uh, I'm just incredibly delighted. So the logo's there and all of those kind of things, but it's it's not often that we have somebody from GoDaddy Pro on, but Marcus, bravo, and thank you very much for helping us out. Really appreciate it. Very happy to do it. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so that's us. Now, a few bits and pieces. I'm just going to breeze through this one because it's not really something that we need to discuss, I don't think, unless somebody's got something to mention. This kind of just happens toward the tail end of when I was um, deciding to take a bit of time off. And uh, it was released on the 24th, sorry, 14th of September. And it was a video of the great Justin Tadlock, who, uh, uh, as far as I knew, didn't actually have a body. Um, you know, he was everywhere, but... <laughs> Very rarely was his face to be seen. I don't know if he deliberately didn't want to go on videos and things like that, but but he didn't. And uh, he's got a new role at Automatic. He's one of the developer advocate. I'm not sure what the exact title is, but he works between the developers and the community. And one of the things that he's trying to do is to get people aware of what's coming in version 6.1 of WordPress. And so to that end, there was an hour-long recording with all of the great and the good bits that are going to be recorded. So it featured the likes of, um, I think Rich Table was on there. You also had um, Jonathan DeRosiers, I think, and um, Marcus Ventura and various other people were on the screen, just sort of showing really 
And so there's a lot coming down the pipe in 6.1. You can see things here. It says things like a new default theme, which is going to be interesting, refined template experience, fluid typography, improved consistency, and loads of things around block locking and all of that kind of stuff. In other words, it's a fairly significant change. There's a lot of things coming down the pipe. And this video of all the things that I've seen kind of touches on all of the bits and pieces. So if you are curious about 6.1, go and check this post out. I will link to it in the show notes, but it's a it's a piece by Chloe Bringman uh, entitled 6.1 Product Walkthrough Recap, and she was just resurfacing that video. Um, so Marcus, uh, Amber, or indeed Michelle, if you've got anything to say about that, interrupt me now. If not, I'll go on to the next bit. Okay, that's fine. I have not watched this video. Oh, <laughs> Well, it, it's actually. So I guess weird. I have something on my to-do list for this week. <laughs> yeah, it's an. It's, it's the weird thing is, it's exactly an hour long. I mean, how good is Justin? He's like really good at everything. He was given an hour, and the video is literally an hour long. It's not one second too long, not one second too short. It's just, just perfect, as with all things that he touches. Okay, enough slapping of uh, Justin Tadlock's back. Let's go for this one. This is uh, Matt Mullenweg, who last week sounds like hot off the back of San Diego's WordCamp US. He uh, he got into the discussion all about whether WebP should be part of core. Now, for those of you that don't follow images all that closely, I confess I don't really. I know there's JPEGs and I know there's PNGs and I know that there's now WebPs as well. Uh, there was some discussion as to whether or not WebP should be like the core um, image file type in WordPress, such that whenever you uploaded something, for example, like a JPEG, it would get converted to WebP. It, on the face of it, it's a really good idea because typically I think they're about 20% smaller than you know equivalent JPEGs and so on and so forth. But it got kiboshed. It seems that that's no longer coming. And Matt has said basically, and I quote, I've been reading through the conversation and issues here. I'm interested in supporting new formats and improving performance, but I think this change being pushed to default users when they upgrade to 6.1 is a lot for right now. I'm happy for support for support for working for WebP and HEIC, which I believe is like what your iPhone takes. It's another image format. To stay in core as we should be liberal with what we accept, but not not change to convert everything to WebP when JPEGs are uploaded. And I just don't know what you thought about this. I thought it was actually a really good idea. On the face of it, I can't see any reason not to do this, but yeah, I'll discuss. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat just from a, I work with clients to optimize their websites. <laughs> yep. And it's like, if you want to feed the Google monster, you sometimes have like this, this is a low hanging fruit, right? Uh, so I was a little bit surprised that it got held back, but I mean, you know, if it's not ready, it's not ready. Mm. I guess maybe he's decided that it's not the most important thing from a performance standpoint and there's other things to do, or maybe there's problems that I'm not aware of since I don't really follow the performance team, but yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting and it'll lead us on in a moment to a, uh, talking about something called canonical plugins, which I confess was, was quite a new idea to me when I first read about it the other day. But, um, I think 98%, I was, I was by pure coincidence, I was interviewing Adam Silverstein from Google the other day and, and he works on the, on the team that, that handle, I think he's on the performance team, um, along with likes of Felix Arntz and so on. And he told me that 98% of browsers now support web, 
FTP out of the box. So it's, it's pretty edge. There's a couple of, I think, like email clients that still don't support it, but 98% do. And it's basically older versions of Safari, which are the holdups. So from a technical point of view, it doesn't seem like there's a an impediment to doing this. Maybe it simply is, like you said, Amber, uh, a question of resources and the fact that, I don't know, maybe there just isn't enough time to get this one through in a way that it's going to be perfectly usable. But I do think that if you are going to upload something which is up to 20% bigger, let's say a JPEG, I, I feel that we should have this at some point. So anyway, if Marcus and uh, uh, Michelle have anything to offer, let's go for that. Otherwise, I'll move on to the canonical bit. Yeah, I think the yeah. I think the one hang-up that I've seen is like when social networks pull an image from a site that they struggle with WebP files currently. And so that would break all of that. But I think having WebP built in as being allowed would be great. Let people go ahead and start uploading WebP images without necessarily converting all JPEGs to WebP right off the bat. So do you mean that, say, for example, if I create a blog post and I upload a WebP and it's the featured image, are you saying that, well, let's use Facebook as the example, there's a potential conflict there and you would just get a, a non-image that just wouldn't be something that came across with your, with your post? Yeah, last I saw it was huh. the, the social network struggled to pull WebP featured images in and display them properly. So that may be one thing that's still lagging as far as... Uh, as you know, compatibility, not just the browsers themselves being able to show them. Courtney, Courtney Robertson just made a comment. She said she thinks the social network uh, previews were resolved, still display original format. Oh, I see. So there's some sort of fallback, is that? Okay, so if not a JPEG, so that... sorry, if, if not a PNG, they serve up a JPEG. That was my understanding, at least anyway. Sorry, Amber. No, that, that's just what I was going to say, because I think SVGs are the same way, like Facebook and other, they have a really hard time if the website only has SVGs on it. Um, and so, but my thought is, why don't you just make the open graph image that's not actually visible to anyone, but is linked in the head, <laughs> a, a JPEG, and then that might solve that problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like whatever the, sorry, Michelle, I don't know if you had anything to say to that. No, I didn't have anything to add. No, that's okay. Um, so whatever the thing is, Matt has decided that, okay, time to uh, time to stall on that one. So that's what's happening. I'll just quickly add uh, Courtney's other comment in. Courtney, again, uh, also a default to display whatever image format shows the smallest data. Ooh, that's interesting. Okay, so, all right. Um, the, the fact, though, is that Matt's decided to pull it, and it raises the question here. I'll just pop it back up on the screen because a little bit further that he wrote, this is an excellent territory for canonical plugins, a concept I think every make team should be exploring a lot more as a place to experiment and push functionality, much like we have had with MP6 and Gutenberg in the past. And that, that whole idea was then picked up by Sarah Gooding in the WP Tavern on the 12th of September, her article was penned with the title, Matt Mullenweg Renews Push for Canonical Plugins. And I confess, I really didn't know too much about canonical plugins, but it, it would appear that at some point in the fairly distant past, uh, 2009, this idea of a canonical plugin came about. And essentially, I'm going to quote because the, the description here by Jen Milo is significantly better than I could come up with on the fly. So here we go. It's fairly lengthy. Bear with me. 
Canonical plugins would be plugins that are community developed, so multiple developers, not just one person. So that's one important point. It's got to be more than an individual and address the most common functionality requests with superlative ex execution. I, I'm glad they didn't use the word awesome. These plugins would be GPL and live in the WordPress.org repo and would be developed in cl close connection with WordPress core. There would be a very strong relationship between core and these plugins that ensured that A, the plugin code would be secure and the best possible example of coding standards, and B, the new versions of WordPress would be tested against these plugins prior to release to ensure compatibility. Forgive me, I've only got a sentence or two more to go. There would be a screen within, so this is a big change to the UI. There would be a screen within the plugin section of the WordPress admin to feature these canonical plugins as a kind of editor's choice or verified guarantee. And these plugins would be a true extension of WordPress core in terms of combat compatibility, security, and support. So in other words, stuff which, let's say, 30% of us really think would be in core. Well, the, the barrier to entry now, in my understanding, is broadly speaking, if something is needed by 80% of the people, then it's it's ripe for going into core. But something, for example, like the WebP that we've just been talking about, maybe that's not for everybody, maybe 20 or 30 or 50%. So the idea would be to have this canonical set of plugins developed with tight integration into core, checked for security, managed by a team, updated all the time. This just seems like a really curious, interesting, dare I say it, like essential idea. And the fact that they're presumably, there's no kind of like upsell going on. It's not like you're going to introduce a ton of adverts or whatever may come along for the ride with that. And the fact that it's not just one person. So, you know, should somebody get disinterested in that project, hopefully there's somebody that can step in. So I just, I, I'm struggling to come up with good examples. The WebP is the only one that's popping into my head, but I do think this is quite a good idea. So I'm going to shut up and throw that one out at you three. <laughs> so I have some thoughts about this. I just posted a link to Matt's article on the make blog for core where he talked about this. And I had some follow-up conversations for some people from the accessibility team, because on that post, if you scroll down, there's some ideas that he threw out. And oh, for the accessibility you. team, he suggested an alternative admin that is better for accessibility. And the whole conversation here is that this is a little bit like the whole separate but equal, <laughs> which is really separate is not equal. <laughs> and um, and so we had some conversations and I know there were a few people with disabilities. Oh, I'm sorry. No, a few people with worry. disabilities who were quite upset about this suggestion that they should have to have a separate admin experience and that the core admin cannot be made better um, for them. So I don't know. It's kind of a side note. I don't know that he meant it that way. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm just curious. I'm just like not super great. Yeah, I'm going to be very mindful of the fact that he, he wrote this word, didn't he? He wrote an alternative API, um, which could, I suppose, be interpreted in all sorts of different ways, couldn't it? You know, here's something extra. But yeah, I, I can understand where you're coming from, Amber. That does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think okay. the, the major concept of having more of those kind of major feature plugins. I think is interesting. There is, you know, a thought too on who's going to develop and manage them and 
how many people are on some of these various teams that are already volunteering a lot to core and do they even have time for that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So right on cue, um, Megan, I'm going to say it's Megan. I don't believe we've met Megan. Megan Haynes um, has written this comment in our, she's on YouTube, uh, canonical plugin development for multilingual, which is a, a possible recommendation that Matt has given us, would prove too complex and laborious for free contributors. Sponsored could do it though, and really it should be done. Okay, that's interesting. Thank you, uh, Megan. And Courtney Robertson is saying it might be a really steep ask for the various teams to maintain their own plugins, especially teams that aren't as dev centric, which I guess is part of the thorny problem, isn't it? It's all very well to say this. And from my perspective, looking from the outside, looking in, if all of that could be achieved, it seems like a no brainer. But now, you know, you've got you guys starting to comment from the inside looking out and you're raising all sorts of possible, you know, things that might make this really difficult to do and maintain going forwards. Okay, Michelle or Marcus, anything there? My only thoughts are whenever we start talking about taking things that are plugins and putting them into core is we have an ecosystem that's built up almost 20 years around WordPress. And when we start to implement things that other companies are actually employing people and making money off of that we run the risk of putting people out of business and, and, and taking income away from not only, you know, we can look at it as business. Well, it's just a business, but those business, every business represents people and, and every one of those people represents a home and, and whether it's a family of one person like me or a family of 15 people, you know, we're, the ecosystem is now supporting families and supporting individuals. And when we talk about putting things in core, we talk about potentially disrupting that whole system. Yeah, interesting point, Michelle. Thank you. Anything to throw in the in in here, uh, Marcus? Um, I wasn't a WordPresser in two thousand nine when the original call was was thrown out there, so I'm not exactly sure what. Um, what all that entails, I guess my question is, is, you know, what makes something about 30% good for about 30% that's not good for 80% when we're talking about like mm. the accessibility admin, why wouldn't we want an accessibility admin that's accessible for everyone and not just like 30%. So I don't, that's the, that's the question for me is what would fall into this category of canonical, canonical plugins that's good for a small subset that wouldn't ultimately benefit everyone. Yeah, I just thinking my first initial reaction to that, Marcus, and again, this is not words inside of my head. I'm just trying to put this sort of devil's advocate position is, is people, I guess, would sort of say every time we include a 30% type of thing, then we make WordPress core a little bit bigger and there's more to patch, whereas if we've got it as little individual compartmentalized plugins. But I totally get your point. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, yeah, if I need to install 10 more plugins, though, then I have 10 more plugins I need to manage. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, though, isn't it? It's it, really interesting, the idea of keeping WordPress core completely lean. But then I, I do feel the idea of a subset of plugins called canonical plugins gives them a certain certain kudos. Uh, and like Michelle says, I wonder if, if especially if they started to cross-pollinate with things that are already commercial plugins, it, it does feel that. Yeah, especially if the, the UI in WordPress had a separate featured section, um, you'd struggle to compete with that, I feel, if you were, I don't know, multilingual or something like that, which is obviously coming 
at some point fairly soon. Uh, right, so Cameron. Hello, Cameron again. He says, I like the idea of canonical plugins, but I feel they'll need their own UI to be really discoverable, like the importer plugins rather than the traditional plugin install path. Yeah. Mm. And uh, just a couple of good mornings. One from Cami. Hello, Cami. Nice to see you last week for the first time. That was really nice. And uh, hello, Adam, who turns out is a fabulous singer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on from canonical plugins. Right, this one I think is going to possibly dominate the conversation today a little bit. It's uh, it's written by a uh, somebody called Michelle Frechette, which, you know, I don't know, don't know who she is, but she sounds lovely. Uh, she's written a piece called Five Days Without a Shower. And so, you know, I was being a bit sarcastic there, Michelle. It's an unusual <laughs> piece for a WordPress post, Five Days Without a Shower, but it kind of struck home. It sounds like you've uh, you've had a lot of interaction on social since you posted this piece. But given its curious title, um, just explain what this piece was all about and what drove you to write it. I think Amber especially would appreciate the fact that if I wrote something with a blog post title called Accessibility at WordCamp US, nobody would read it. It had to be something a little sensational, uh, but actually honest, right? So um, I arrived at WordCamp US on Wednesday and I wasn't able to shower until I got home because the hotel that was supposedly an accessible room was retrofitted to meet the bare minimum, which is that it had grab bars by both the toilet and the shot and the, the bathtub. But being somebody who can't step into a bathtub, who can't stand in a bathtub and who can't sit on the floor of a bathtub, that was like, well, it looks pretty, but it's not usable, right? And so it's like, it was like the wax fruit on your grandmother's coffee table. It looks good, but if you eat it, you are going to be in trouble. Had I gotten into the bathtub, we would have needed people to get me out of it. And that would have been an embarrassing situation. Um, it, it just, it was not accessible. It, even after they brought a shower, a shower chair, it still wasn't, it still wasn't accessible. I would have it would have been like sitting in the rain, right? So like, there's no there's no way to actually move the shower. When you stand in a shower, you move your body to the water. When you're just sitting, you can't do that. So it's it was it was a rather unpleasant experience, which is why I started the like that smell at WordCamp US. Yeah, that was me because not only that, but like the deodorant I brought didn't work. So I had to actually borrow from my roommate. Otherwise, it would have been a really bad situation. But <laughs> It, and it wasn't just that, right? There, the only, the only doors in the entire WordCamp experience um, that actually opened with a push button so that I could actually access them by myself was the external doors to the event, um, not the, not the doors to the hotel uh, lobby, not the doors in any of the bathrooms, not the doors within the venue itself. Anytime I needed to go through a door. I had to ask somebody to help me or struggle to do it myself. Um, and if you read the article, you know that I actually got stuck in the lobby bathroom for a, for a few minutes because uh, to be able to hold a door, move your mobility device backwards, move the door behind you and then move forward without injuring yourself, it's not easy to do. And so, yeah, so I, I struggled quite a bit and I know I wasn't the only one. I did talk to some of the other people um, with mobility issues who, you know, chose not to be named, but that's, and I, I 100% appreciate that, um, but who also were struggling with uh, doors and showers and things like that. And so uh, I just think it's something that we as a community need to keep in mind and, and retrofitting things 
like like if you go to a, a a restaurant and the only way to access it because there's stairs in the front is to go to the back and come in through the kitchen that is not the experience that everybody else has and so just like amber says we don't want separate but equal um when we're looking at our dashboards or or using our dashboards i don't want to have to come in through the kitchen to experience the same things that other people experience. I don't want to get stuck in the bathroom. I don't want to have to take a front. Yes, I know women go to the bathroom in packs. That's not actually true. We're absolutely able to go to the restrooms by ourselves as long as you can get out of the restroom. And so those were some of the experiences that I had and I thought it was important to write about them. But then also, um, I don't complain about things without also trying to at least bring some ideas forward for moving forward. And so the end of that article also talks about ways that we as a community can look at WordCamps and make sure that they are accessible for all. A um, couple of things. Firstly, from my point of view, you know, you're, you're very equanimous normally, aren't you? You know, you, you don't seem to stray into uh, fits of anger online or anything like that. And I, I, I notice straight up that you've written this and there's a heavy amount of humor in it to sort of keep it light. Um, because and, if I don't, I didn't want to cry through WordCamp, right? So I had right. to be, I had to employ humor. Right. Myself. So, but but I I want to know if if you're willing to talk about this. So you've sure. you've you've used a bit of humor to make it palatable for, I guess, to get to draw people towards it. Is that is that the actual feeling, or is do you feel a okay? Anger is not the word I want, but that's a word which is going to come out of my mouth. So, do you feel cross about this? Does it you know? Does it are you irritated? I, I wouldn't say Mm. more frustrated right okay. so yeah. so you the, you you can be frustrated with something once but then when it happens for three four or five days in a row that frustration starts to to grow into something i don't know what the right word for it is but indignation maybe or just it, it if there were people who were trying to help it would have turned into anger quite easily right, right. But every step of the way there were people who reached out who tried to help who did what they could to make it a, a better and a more pleasant experience um i am surrounded by people at, in in the wordpress community who know me who love me some of you might not love me that's okay but the people at WordCamp, um i have a lot of friends i i do have a face and a voice that are known in wordpress and i feel for me, I don't put this burden on anybody else, but for me, I've I've built a platform in WordPress that I need to use to advocate for others as well. And so I feel like I have a voice in WordPress. And if I can't affect a change for people like me who struggle with doors and who have those issues when they are at an event like that, then then how could somebody who doesn't have a voice you know, advocate as strongly. And so I want to use that voice to make sure that other people are not having the same experiences that I have and to make sure that camps that come beyond this one are better experiences, not just for me, but for others. A lot of the commentary in the article, although certainly not limited to, but a lot of the things that you wrote were were constrained to the the hotel they were about the actual venue so it was a, it was a great big conference center com hotel you know there was there were many many rooms and layers and doors and avenues and bars and all of that kind of stuff are there are there any industries that have now just like got this right so for example i'm imagining that you know you had to go through airports and on airplanes and all of that kind of thing i just wondered yeah. if this has been sewn up by an industry you know to the point where you can happily breeze through that scenario and it's always going to be fine I always have the best experiences at airports. Huh. I have 
I do not struggle at airports at all. I can't speak for people who have other disabilities than mine. Mine is a mobility disability. Um, but but I had the most, exp I'll tell you what, I almost cried from happiness at my TSA experience in San Diego coming home. And I've never almost cried for joy at TSA, but I actually tweeted about it and they followed up with me because I was treated with such dignity. I was taken through a process that where I was assisted the whole way. I have um, a, a mobility scooter that I use. I take it right down to the door of the plane and then I use my cane to get on the plane. They take my scooter, every air, airline I've used, they take the scooter, they put it down underneath. When I get off the plane, it's there waiting for me. So I have um, the ability to navigate through an airport on my own. Um, I used to use wheelchair service. And then you're at the, you're beholden to somebody else pushing you through an airport. You feel bad if you say, hey, I'd like to stop at Starbucks or I need to use the restroom. When you're on your own, um, you know, I have the ability to do that. I actually had in, in one airport, I think this was out in, gosh, I don't remember now where I flew. I've flown a lot this year. Um, but I was at a stopover in, I think it was Philadelphia. And I got off, I got up off the jet bridge. And I'm in my own mobility scooter. And there's somebody like with, with my name, right? Knowing that I'm somebody who's, who's got a disability and they're going to take me through the airport. And I, and I said, I can travel faster without you beside me, not to be rude, but I have, my, it's like my legs don't work well, but I'm perfectly capable of finding the next the next place to go. So I didn't need assistance that way. So in, in that, that was the one time that I thought, do they think that people in wheelchairs or people with mobility issues also have the inability to navigate an airport? Because my brain mm -hmm. works perfectly fine. It's it's just that my, my legs don't work as quickly. So I, I declined then. Um, I do have a friend who is deaf, who was offered, um, who was almost made to take a wheelchair to get to her next destination. And she's like, I can't hear the announcement, but I can see and I can walk just fine. So leave me alone. I don't need your wheelchair. Um, so sometimes they don't get it right. But by and large, airports do a very good job and airlines do a very good job accommodating in my experience. I know others have not had the same experience. I can only speak for my personal experience. So I've, ran, I've asked a couple of rounds of questions, so I'm just going to hand it over to Marcus. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, like, I, I think it highlighted for me how important it is to bring people with disabilities into the process early because accessibility means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Like, I wasn't aware. I never noticed you smelling, and I wasn't aware of any of the issues, right, until I saw the article, which made me really appreciate that you, you know, went out there and wrote it. Um, I, I saw went through my co-presenter and friend Alex Stein through his experiences. And he, for anyone who's not familiar with him, is blind. Um, and he was like, the building is huge, but the accessibility on his end was fine. Um, and But it's also interesting because he was telling me he might write a post on his LinkedIn about his experiences in airports and how bad it is. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. And so because for him, he relies on a guide to help him find places and frequently they'll take him and sit him next to the place and then they leave. And he said they're not supposed to leave for more than 30 minutes, but they do. And if he has to go to the bathroom, he can't find the bathroom. Yeah. Right? And and he's, so he like tries to avoid getting there early and I was afraid he was going to miss his flight. And he's like, nope. <laughs> I can't get there any earlier, right? So, but I do think it is a conversation that needs to be had, which is how can we 
make it easier for event organizers who I think have good thoughts in their heart, but aren't aware of these things. And maybe we need to look at the documentation on on the, you know, for WordCamp organizers or for meetup organizers. Um, and we're put together something, which we've kind of started a conversation about that on Twitter. Maybe it's a separate site, but I still feel like some of it should be in the actual documentation about like, what are the questions you should ask? Because clearly it's not enough to just ask a, a hotel, are you accessible? Because I think their answer is yes. But in reality, right. it wasn't, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, this came up a bunch with the meetup that I run. We do live captions for a time we had ASL interpreters, but we haven't been able to find the sponsors. And it's accessibility and I was like, we have to have these things if we can, but the foundation is like, well, unfortunately we can't pay for that, <laughs> right? So now we have to go find sponsors to help cover the cost. But it would be great if every virtual event had live captions and if everyone knew how important that was. Mm -hmm. And I've had yeah. so many people reach out to me privately. Um, you, if you just look at my Twitter, you'll see lots of people commented publicly as well. But I had people reach out to me privately. Alex actually reached out to me and said, here's my phone number, Michelle. If you ever run into a problem, I know how to advocate. Call me. He's so sweet. I appreciate <laughs> that. Awesome. I love him. He is awesome. And then the CTO of my own company at Liquid Web, Joe Osterling, reached out to me and said, you know, that I um, he, he he cried reading it because he had no idea what I was going through there. And that if I in the future to contact him, he would move mountains to, to get me what I needed. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that there's so many people who are willing to help in this, in, you know, when those situations are happening, um, because we absolutely need advocates when we can't advocate for ourselves. Um, I think I'm pretty good at advocating for myself, but there are times that your frustration level just renders you uh, almost incapable of just dealing anymore. But, but to get in front of these things and not have to have people intercede in the heat of the moment is what we want, right? We want an experience that as soon as you approach the front door, you have a button you can open, you have or a doorman that's there, whatever the experience is, so that there are people, there are things in, in place where we don't have to look for assistance and find ways to circumnavigate the, the what exists to be able to accommodate everybody who who is there and has the right to be there. And so I like, like I said, I can only write from my own perspective. I can't write from the perspective of somebody who's blind or deaf. I don't have those perspectives. I can only imagine what those kinds of things. I'm glad that we had captioning there. I don't know what other issues somebody who's deaf might have needed. Um, even if it's just some, an interpreter to be able to have lunch at a group of of people you know, at a table where you don't know anybody. Um, so there's lots of opportunities for us to learn and grow. And I don't know that any one person is going to have the ability to know how to navigate all of that. But at least we have to have start the conversation and start to put into place um, opportunities and um, you know, whatever, I can't think of guidelines, um, heading mm -hmm. into events so that we can make sure that everybody has um, a similar experience and the best possible experience that they can. Marcus, anything to add? Um, I don't have a ton to add to that. I just wanted to say that I appreciated Michelle's honesty in writing that piece. It's kind of hard to put yourself out there sometimes. And so I appreciated the honesty there. And then 
as easy as it is to slam people, I also appreciate, and this is just who Michelle is, adding people's names that were particularly helpful in that piece. Let's and, do it. Let's and let's giving giving them the, the the due credit for being upstanding citizens and very helpful, friendly people, um, because it's so easy to it's so easy to slam companies and people that are doing it wrong, especially yeah. when you're frustrated and writing a post that. I'm sure just boils the frustration again, even though you're back home and away from all of that, you get to relive the entire thing again. So taking the time to really call out the people that were helpful, I think was fantastic too. Um, it made me rethink, you know, go back in my, in my head and, and rethink the room that I was in. I was in a different hotel, but, you know, try to think about what things would have been difficult for, you know, mobility or, people that you know don't have eyesight or hearing or whatever else right and just sort of think through how they would have navigated the room that i was in and it wasn't you know necessarily specified as an accessible room but nevertheless there should be some level of accessibility in any room so i kind of got a chance to to sort of sit back and think about how that how that would have uh what that experience would have been like um, and I did see some of the conversation on Twitter, and I think getting some of some of that down from everyone in the community, get, getting those things in a list where um, we can kind of tackle those things as thing as the events are being organized is just hugely critical. Hmm. So let's person, name them. The one, per, the one person can I, just, I forgot. Can I just to name, name the names on your list quickly? Um, just because I think. But let me tell you who I forgot to add was you, Nathan, because oh. you. Because you moving my scooter for me was the funniest thing that happened in all of WordCamp. <laughs> Can I tell you the story? Can I tell people the story? <laughs> it was, Absolutely. So we, I the story. We went, we went to a restaurant <laughs> and uh, and the the scooter was, uh, you know, Michelle arrived on the scooter. I don't believe you had any problem getting in to the restaurant yeah. at the beginning. No. So we, we arrived um, and then Michelle needed to discard the scooter at the at the table and it was it was in the aisle. So it needed to be moved. And so I. I decided I would move it, and the quickest way to move it is to ride it. Um, but I didn't realize there was a speed option. <laughs> didn't realize there was a way of making it go quickly. So I, I pressed the button, which makes it move, and it, it went about a centimeter <laughs> a second. And so I, I well, I had, spent... <laughs> I had turned it to turtle mode because usually people turtle get mode. on it and don't, yeah. don't realize how fast it can go, so they don't know how to oh, control that. And they lurch that. forward and hit people and hit things. Yep. So I've turned it all That's where I thought literally... this story was going. Nathan knocked yeah. over an entire table <laughs> no. of food. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was just me just moving a centimeter in. A, it, like, it just the slowest, <laughs> most... It was yeah, it was, with I with was an awkward stare, I assume. Yeah, yeah, I was just <laughs> waving. Bye. Bye. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a very pleasurable moment. I must admit, that was a lovely evening. And I really enjoyed that. Okay, let's name the names because um, I think that's important. So I, I know some of these people, and I don't know some of the others. So I'm sorry if I butcher your names. But but Michelle uh, had fantastic experiences with Michelle Butcher Jones, Mark Westgard, who was actually with us on that evening, uh, Kimberly Lippery, I'm going to say Lippari, uh, Ryan Marks, Topher De Rosia, the entire Stella WP and Nexus team, uh, the post status team, and also uh, Pagely, where they, they had a great big party on a gig really very big boat. And, uh, and it looks like you had a, a great experience there. 
you you as you said you mentioned some of the things that you feel the event did also here's the list on the screen you can read the article yourself by the way it's on poststatus.com and the article's called five days without a shower um so you mentioned aisles and rows were wide the microphones are accessible for the q a sessions the live transcriptions were really good and something about the box lunches being available for you and easy to hand and people uh, people were there checking you in and out however uh, you've obviously got some things which you think can be dealt with. And so I think this number, f- the first point that you make is really interesting to me because it, it's genuinely the only way I would know t- how to deal with this. And that would be in much the same way that I may go to Amber Hines, uh, Equalize Digital, and say, I have a website. I would like it to be more accessible than it is now. You're the expert. Please, will you take that on? Um, your, su- your first suggestion is to employ an accessibility expert who obviously knows the ins and outs and presumably doesn't just come at it from your perspective, mobility, but would also come at it from the perspective of, well, all the perspectives. Um, I, I don't know, Amber, maybe you've got more right, more insight into that. Such, such people exist. There is an industry of people who put events on and get accessibility you know, as part of their remit. So the International Association of Accessibility Professionals, they have certifications that focus on accessibility in the built environment, not just in the virtual environment or the web. Um, and so I, I am, as a member, I'm like aware of some of the stuff they talk about and they have training sessions, all that stuff. I don't focus too much on that, but that would be my guess as the first place to go to try and find somebody who's certified in that, maybe. I mean, one would hope that event organizers would have contacts on this, but my guess is probably they don't, unfortunately. Mm. It it might be like the reality of many web developers or web agencies don't think about accessibility. So it might be the same thing for event organizers, but I would think that'd be a good place to start. Yeah. Um, Okay. And then another suggestion would be to add an accommodations role to all the WordCamps. So somebody whose job it is to just deal with the accommodation side of things. That's a curious one. Michelle, you develop this a lot more. Um, but number three is checking each person. Oh, no, that's a, a something. Okay. But yeah, so the idea of employing some accessibility expert, but also having somebody on on the WordCamp team whose job it is entirely just to deal with the accommodation side. Yeah, some of the accommodations that were not met well for others was the food situation. Um, as far as like halal food, kosher food, um, soy free, dairy free, those kinds of things. I was hearing from people that they couldn't eat what was provided because they couldn't be certain that their um, allergen was not part of the the meal. And so I think that we really need to be cautious about that too. Um, It's just as important as me being able to enter a door, somebody who's at an event being able to, to eat at that event is just as important. So I think that somebody on the team, and it can be part of the um, the attendee experience team, but it should be their only role. That person should be dedicated to making sure that anything that comes in through those registrations as a, as a special accommodation need, whether it's accessibility or um, food, food allergies, food needs, those should all be dealt with um, very kindly and very intentionally. Okay. Uh, I think universally uh, a fabulous uh, piece, uh, Michelle, not only because it was uh, probably a difficult one to write, but also uh, highlighting for folk like me who basically need it highlighting. So appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, A couple of comments around there. The first one I had a little while ago was Michelle again saying that she was really happy uh, that you wrote this, but disappointed that you had 
to write it. Uh, Courtney, um, who I guess is hosting WordPress events, she should love. She said she would love a checklist uh, for those hosting parties. Yeah, that's an interesting idea, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then Jess Frick. Hello, Jess. Um, I love the idea of paying an accessibility expert. So what we just talked about uh, to help with these large events. Yeah, you feel like, especially the large events, there's kind of, there's no wiggle room there, there, is there? Yeah. Um, it's an added cost. Uh, but I chose I choose that over a WordCamp Frisbee or something like that. Interesting. I know that for my school, my children who just go to a regular school in the UK, when they do um, just any kind of outing, I know that the school staff have to go very often on their own dime. I, I don't mean literally that, but you know they have to go in their own time and they have to go and check this stuff out to make sure for certain, for 100% certain, I mean, you know, so I guess it can be done. But hiring an expert, uh, don't think that would be asking too much, says Patricia Shetler. Hello, Patricia, another new face. This is nice. Um, wouldn't be asking too much. What could be 1%? And she also says any event could use that person taking care of special requests. It's just lazy, she says. Okay. Thank you for all the commentary on that. Really good piece. So let's move on. Um, ba -ba 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 we're going to go here. Going to go here. I, this is firmly in Marcus's uh, domain here because, uh, as we said right at the top, Marcus is uh, working for GoDaddy, and GoDaddy. Marcus, first of all, forgive me if this news isn't exactly brand new. How how long ago was it that WordCamp, sorry, that um, managed WooCommerce stores came on the horizon for GoDaddy? I know it's a sort of preview at the moment, but has this been in the making for a a long, long time, and then we can get into what it actually means. Yeah, I don't know if it'll come as much surprise that I think we've sort of been working on this since the Pagely acquisition. I think it was even in the press release for the Pagely acquisition that there was some kind of WooCommerce SaaS product coming. Um, we didn't do a great job of keeping that a secret. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it's been coming. WordCamp US we officially put the name out there and um it's in preview currently we're looking for people to give it a test run give us some feedback so we can make it everything that it needs to be before we make it generally available to everyone um but yeah wordcamp us is kind of when we decided to sort of officially announce it so it's called Managed WooCommerce Stall, uh, Stores. Um, it's, a, it's a GoDaddy product. Um, it would appear that at the moment, at least anyway, I tried to click on the link and I was, I was met with a page saying quite rightly that I'm kind of not entitled to make use of it yet because I, uh, I'm not based in the US because clearly on the page there in bold, it says it's available to US-based customers only. And the, the text that I'm reading on the page here, to quote, managed WooCommerce stores is for established businesses, so there's something, uh, that seek to rapidly grow by selling in multiple channels. It eliminates the need to maintain a variety of complex e-commerce applications or cycle through add-on features for desired functionality. I'm going to keep quoting if you don't mind. Uh, it's powered by e-commerce software that combines Woo, uh, WordPress flexibility with an intuitive user experience on a highly performant, fully managed platform, which I believe is the 
Pagely architecture. Um, and it is a new e-commerce platform that combines today's best performance, functionality, and scalability. Oh, yeah, there we go. Uh, using the, the raw power of Pagely's enterprise-managed WordPress platform, high performance on AWS-backed infrastructure with looks like a 99.95% uptime guarantee. So what, what are we actually getting here? Is it... So obviously, we've got the hosting side that we've just read about at Pagely. What's the rest of it? Is it like a unique dashboard? Does it look like WordPress? Is it a collection of plugins? Are some of them custom? Just, Marcus, just tell us quick what, it's, what yes. it is, really. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was a lot of big fancy words in a blog article. But uh, so managed, managed WooCommerce stores is WordPress and WooCommerce fully managed for you, right? So you don't have to worry about updating those or or issues with any of those that includes, you know, all the wonderful backups and and all of that, the the reliability. So it's it's a culmination of of course the recent acquisitions for GoDaddy, right? So um Point, I believe, was the first one acquired. And so that now powers GoDaddy payments, which I can talk about a little bit too. And then Skyverge, which of course was the uh, the one that I was a part of as well, and came to GoDaddy, and that's going to be really more the software side. And then of course Pagely, um, with the cloud infrastructure of the hosting itself. So managed WooCommerce stores is sort of a culmination of all of those things together, right? We have Pagely powering everything. Skyverge has. Um, sort of beefed up the default WooCommerce. It still looks like WordPress and WooCommerce. Um, but some of the things that we think should be built in are now built in, like sequential order numbers and cost of goods. There's gift certificates. And that's all built in and not extra plugins that you need to purchase or manage for that fact. So um, there's some cost savings there and also some some maintenance savings there. Um, and then the the Skyverge plugins that haven't been built in are still available um, as part of the package as well. So you can download any of those and use them. That's like WooCommerce memberships and local pickup plus uh, this, the social login stuff. Skyverge had 60, 65 plugins, extensions to WooCommerce, something like that. Like I said, a couple of, a few of them have been built in along with a couple of other just features like shipment tracking that we thought every WooCommerce owner is going to need. Um, and then GoDaddy Payments um, is, is going to be critical for this one as well. As you alluded to earlier, this is not $1 a month hosting. This is for established businesses that are selling already. Um, you can call them the power sellers, folks that are somewhere in the 100000 to a million GMV a year. Uh, and so that's going to be larger, larger businesses probably um, that are selling on, on WooCommerce. And so uh, GoDaddy Payments is going to have lower fees than just about any of the other uh, payment gateways. And when you're doing $100,000 to a $1 million in sales, that the percentages, even the smaller percentages make a difference. And so um, it's been kind of a long time coming with the acquisitions and Skyverge folks building things and Pagely getting the architecture ready um, to put this all together. And then I didn't even mention the biggest piece really is the omni-channel sales and being able to connect 
um, your WooCommerce store to things like Amazon, Etsy, Walmart, Facebook, Instagram, and have your WooCommerce store be the source of truth for the price, the description, the inventory, and all of that. So you're not having to manage six, seven different platforms um, when you're selling things. That can all be managed right through your managed WooCommerce stores dashboard. So it's like the central, it's the, the object of truth. It's it's the, the, the hub for all of the, I don't know, you've said here, eBay, Google, Walmart, Etsy, Amazon, a whole bunch of marketplaces you can be on. And mm-hmm. it syncs all that data and you just log into one. Yeah, that's nice. That's really nice. Yep, you Adam, can do all your fulfillment through WooCommerce as well. Yep. So when yep. something comes in from Facebook, it shows up in your WooCommerce dashboard. You can fulfill it. Market is shipped. And uh, then it'll push that back out to Facebook and everything else. Yeah. Uh, t- tell me about this piece. Adam's Adam. Adam's just throwing numbers in the chat. Yours. Yeah. So you... Um, <laughs> You, this is GoDaddy payments, correct? Two point three percent versus two point nine percent. Two point nine percent is the sort of industry standard, isn't it? If you go with yep. space, uh, sorry, square, uh, little, uh, what is it even called? Stripe. That's Stripe. it. Stripe. Um, there you or go. Square and all of these kind of things. There's typically two point nine plus a, I don't know, a, a, a small yeah, thirty cents. Charge. You kind of take your pick. They're all just about two point nine percent plus thirty cents. Where GoDaddy payments comes in at two point three percent plus thirty cents. So this is. This is GoDaddy's tech. This is not, it's not like you've built on top of, or have you built on top of um, like Stripe, but negotiated a better deal in the background or something? No. So this, this is directly the point acquisition, right? Point was a payment process, is a payment processor that GoDaddy acquired before Skyverge. And point is what powers GoDaddy payments. Actually, so this is not, not built on top of Stripe or anything else. Yeah, you're right. If if you wow, if you are in the plus million dollar range and you are 0.6% cheaper on transaction, that really starts Makes to a difference pretty, at that scale. Yes, it's it's a nice holiday uh, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So, where do we find it? And if we're a US customer, do you know what the process is for getting on board and you basically you're looking for people to test it out, right? It's like a beta program that you want people with current successful for want of a better word stores to hop on yeah um currently the best way is to just dm me and i'll i'll get people to the right place um either on twitter um which i'm sure i'll be in the show notes here whatever or on uh you know post out of slack make slack woocommerce community slack woocommerce community facebook group i'm kind of in all those places so um find me and and i'll i'll get you set up if you're interested you uh, you also make quite a quite a comment about the sort of performance of it. I, I confess I don't know a lot about Pagely, uh, but I know they were kind of like around right, right right at the beginning. I think of the whole managed WordPress. It, maybe even they were one of the first to to sort of claim that moniker. And yeah, um, absolutely, and, and yeah, and known for known for the their infrastructure, their performance, and all of that. And that was a huge a huge part of the baseline that we wanted for managed WooCommerce stores. So. Even though managed WooCommerce stores was sort of an idea before the page acquisition, we knew that having that infrastructure was going to be paramount to making this successful. Jess Frick says she's, she's going to give it a try, yeah. which is quite nice. Sorry. I, I have know. Jess. Thanks. I always wonder about this making, even with our clients, sometimes I worry about this like making grade. Like this right here almost implies that if you host with us, you're going to have an A score, right? Which 
That's, There's well, so yeah, much so that's a baseline. Of hosting that control that, you know what I mean? Like, how right. do you control for they uploaded pictures of their products that a photographer took and they never, right? And every page has, I don't know, 20 pictures that are all 5,000 pixels wide. Like, that always makes me nervous. Does that, that doesn't make you guys nervous, like, putting that there? <laughs> so a couple of things to answer your question. One, that's a bit of a baseline, which most people can probably claim. The second part to that, which I didn't really go into, but is super important, is that all of these sites are also supported by the Skyverge and Pagely support teams, which, of course, I'm going to be a little bit biased coming in with Skyverge, and I was on the support team there. But I know how good that team is because I was on it. Um, and this is, like I said, not dollar a month hosting. This is going to be very closely monitored for things like that. The support team is going to be proactive in reaching out to sites that are struggling, helping with performance, helping with optimizations, helping with security and accessibility and all of those things. And I know just how good the Skyridge and Pagely teams are. And this gets you basically direct access to those teams as well. You're not, you know, you're going to kind of bypass the first couple of tiers of WordPress support and go right to the, the WordPress and WooCommerce experts. And of course, we're sort of growing those teams. We want more of GoDaddy to be WordPress and WooCommerce experts, so that will get larger and larger as we go. Um, but you're kind of you're going to have direct access to to those teams, and those teams are going to be proactive in sort of seeing, all right, this site looks like it's struggling, or you know, we're doing okay across the board, but these couple of sites are not hitting that reliability. Something's happening with those. Let's reach out to to those customers and see if there's anything we can do to help. That's really cool. I mean, that's a whole, I mean, that's what I kind of think managed hosting should be, right? When in a lot of cases, it's like they update your WordPress for you and there's some yeah. extra security, but they we'll don't do pay updates. any attention to your site. So <laughs> I, I'm very impressed to hear that. That's neat. Yeah, that is neat. Can I ask about the onboarding process? So let's say I come to you with a site, regardless of how big or successful it is, but here I am. I've got my site and I want to give this a try. Do you mm -hmm. manage the the migration and all of that, or is there a process that I've got to manually go through? Nope. We do handle the initial migration over from a site as well. Um, so once you get signed up, we'll have the support team will reach out, ask you if you have a site to migrate over. If you do, we'll handle the migration as well to get you started. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, there's that whole... There's that whole bit of the WordPress ecosystem, isn't there, which is on WordPress. And then inside of that ecosystem, sorry, which is on uh, WooCommerce, doing doing trade, got shops and stores and what have you. Then inside of that, there's the whole, well, we can manage it ourselves. We've got our own team. We've got our own development team. We're really capable. We're, you know, we're fine. And then there's the other, which which is what I would firmly sit in, which would be the, I just, just take my hand. <laughs> and just do it for me because I, I don't want the effort of, of having it go wrong and have to be awake at three in the morning freaking out. So this feels like it's squarely in there. And you really have touched so many bases with that. You've got your own payment solution. You've got the, the Pagely infrastructure behind it. You've got all those connections and, yeah, no doubt more to come. So Yeah, yeah I, I kind of I look at it the way that... Um you know, Apple controls the hardware and the software so they can kind of fine tune everything to work the best that it possibly can. Yep. And having all of those pieces allows us to be able to do that as well. Um, Jess Frick, who works for Pressable, which is another WordPress, uh, e e <laughs> sorry, not e-commerce, a uh, hosting solution. She said, never underestimate somebody's ability to do bad things with good hosting. Right. Uh, and then Adam. <laughs> that's that's tweetable. Yeah, that's tweetable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
Adam says, a lot, a lot. This person just loaded a, uploaded a three gigabyte image. Yeah. yeah. Like a that Danger Will Adam. Robinson. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, that sounds small. <laughs> yeah, but the, I, I think I've been on sites where I've seen like 10 gigabytes. Aren't they the kind of things that you would want in your, like as an alert in your dashboard, right? If you upload an image, which is clearly just absurd i know that wordpress can do a job of compressing it but i do think things like that would be quite useful you know really do you really want to upload this image have you any idea what you've just done can we try making it a bit smaller first and here's some software which will help you with that anyway blah blah blah. thank you this looks really cool um and we will no doubt be coming back to it in the near future michelle have you got anything you want to throw in there or shall i move on in, in, in my days as a freelancer and turning sites over to customers, I would say 100% that e-commerce um, sites were the most difficult things to hand off to a customer. And having yeah. a solution like this would have been amazing 10 years ago for me. Yeah. So, you know, kudos to you. Hats off. I'm, I'm happy to see more hosts doing things like this to be able to truly enable people to run a site that works well for them and causes less frustration. So great job. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And to be clear, there's still some work to be done. That's why it's in preview. So please do reach out if people are interested. We do want feedback so we can make it everything it needs to be. Mm. Okay. So that is managed WooCommerce stores, which is in preview um, from GoDaddy Pro. The article that you can find is on the GoDaddyPro.com website. And uh, if you just Google the, what I've just said, you're probably going to find it. Okay, it's changed tack again. We're, we're sort of running fairly short of time, but I think we managed to squeeze most of what I intended to get in in. Um, this one's really quick, really. It's just to say that uh, WordCamp US obviously took place. We've talked about it at great length already, but that there is a new, um, you know, as one passes, another one. I nearly really put my foot in it. I'll tell you after the show what I nearly said, and uh, <laughs> it wouldn't have gone down well on this day in particular. Um, there is going to be the next WordCamp US held in 2023 which is going to be on the East Coast this time, uh, National Harbour, Maryland, which apparently is a waterfront convention center, uh, 20 minutes from Washington, D.C., and it's going to be on August the 23rd to the 25th. And those of you that love to get this stuff pre-planned, well, there you go. you got the dates. You can now start planning on it all. Uh, I, I don't suppose anybody's got anything to add to that, but let's move on to this one, which is a very similar piece, actually. This is WordCamp Asia. Has yet to happen. Supposed to happen in 2019, and then, well, we all know what happened with the world. That got in the way, uh, but it's coming back 17th to the 19th of February, 2023. Look at this. They are after some speakers. Now, I honestly don't know what the guidelines are around speaking uh, at WordCamp Asia, because typically when I've gone to a WordCamp, everybody's... Uh, Speaking in English, because I've generally been in a country where that just seemed to work. But anybody got any thoughts on that? Is that what is it all in Did English? You, this is this is in English, yes. Okay. Yeah. Did you see the follow-up piece where they were asking for more um, submissions? They're having a hard time getting local speakers. I huh. think. Um, and also maybe females. Uh it, it's been They're a while since I looked at that. Diversity, yeah. But um, yeah, Rob Howard actually shared it on, I think I saw, he shared it on Twitter and he was commenting because we were talking about some, he was, he has a good piece about some of the challenges with expecting speakers to 
go for free and speak and have to pay for their airfare and their hotel and all of that stuff and how that puts people who aren't sponsored by companies or don't work for big employers at a disadvantage. It can make it really hard, especially for freelancers. Um, and then he was highlighting like that piece where they were saying they were having a hard time getting like they have a lot of people sponsored by companies that are outside of Asia applying to speak because it's like a vacation, <laughs> right? That their employer right. pays for. Right. Um, Look, here's a couple of interesting thoughts. I don't know if you've ever been to Thailand or any of the countries surrounding Thailand, but if, if you listen to the language uh, Thai in the particular case of Thailand, but all sorts of other ones, there is there's no overlap between it and English. You know, it's it's completely impenetrable to somebody like me. And so what the reason I'm saying that is because the reverse must be true. If you are from Thailand, it must be extraordinarily difficult uh, to be able to speak in English without enormous enterprise and endeavor. You know, maybe you were taught it at school or something like that. But it does raise a question, doesn't it? Uh, if, if WordCamp Asia is basically a bunch of people speaking in English, well, I, I get that uh, because it seems to be the lingua franca. But nevertheless, it does seem... It seems a bit curious, doesn't it? Um, I mean, maybe that's an argument for not having a word in Camp Asia because there's so much diverse languages and maybe it needs to be more like, I mean, you know, <laughs> maybe it needs to be a word camp China and a word camp, right, like right, more country specific mm, in that way. Yeah. Although I know there's been back and forth about whether country word camps are allowed, even though... <laughs> Yeah, oh, that debate just goes on and on, doesn't it? The <laughs> yeah. um, the other th interesting point that you made there was about the the flights and accommodation, and it, th there's a piece of me which kind of feels that if you've made the grade and your your presentation was accepted, because that's you know there's quite a barrier there. You've got to put a lot of thought into what you're going to say and present it, and you know all of that. I do wonder. I do wonder if plane tickets and accommodation mightn't be a, a nice a nice trade off there. Anyway, they're looking for people or even in the accommodation. Yeah, I mean, right. it would be great to do everything right. But, but yeah. even if it was like the accommodation and the food while you're here would be covered. Like that mm. would certainly help a lot of people. Um, oh, yeah. here we go. There's another comment from uh, uh, Adam from GoDaddy. Uh, we just submitted our interest in financially supporting underrep speakers to try and help with this as well as others, I assume. Okay, that'd be interesting to flesh out what your thoughts are on there, Adam, uh, and whether it addresses some of the things that Amber uh, was just talking about. That's that's curious, thank you. They're, um, they're looking for people in the following areas, accessibility, business, community, careers, design, development, marketing, and writing. So, you know, the typical load. But if you go to asia.wordcamp.org, you, uh, you can hunt things out over there. And by the looks of it, you have got about 11 more days to submit your presentation, um, or at least the outline of it. Okie dokie. Right, here's a, an interesting one. Again, apologies, it's probably the second bit of news, which is a little bit more stale than typical because I've been off for a bit. But um, I did want to raise this one, especially as nice coincidence, Amber was on today. I'm sure she's got some things to say about this. Uh, Yoast, the popular SEO plugin, in, in their premium version, version 19.2, they have a new inclusive language analysis tool. It's, it's, it's in beta. Um, apparently, all of Yoast happens on your infrastructure, so none of this is sort of versing back and forth over the wire, which may be of interest to you. But the, the idea of this is that you may be, uh, inadvertently or otherwise, you may be putting people off your content or 
going down in search engine rankings because of the style of language you're using. It may not be as inclusive as it should be. And again, quick quote from Yoast team. Inclusive language avoids expressions that are considered to express or imply an idea ideas that are sexist, racist, otherwise biased, prejudiced, or denigrating to any particular group of people. And then there's uh, some parenthesis there. Um, what inclusive language actually looks like varies based on standards in education, relig- uh, religion, and publishing. With the new inclusive language analysis in Yoast SEO Premium, we're enabling you to attract a wider audience and reduce the risk of alienating people from your content. And so I just thought this was kind of like a curious idea. You know, you've seen Yoast in the past with its little traffic light system. If it believes that a piece has achieved all of the metrics that you've enabled, you get the little green traffic light and you think, okay, I'm good to go, broadly speaking. Maybe there's some extra work to be done, but at least I've got got something, you know, patting my back and saying, good job. So the idea here would be something similar, I guess, in that it will analyze your tool for particular phrases, particular words, choice of words, tenor, and so on and then give you some guidance on that. And, and I just thought, I really thought this was really left field and interesting, so I'm raising it. I, did, I, didn't see this, I didn't see this one coming, so I don't know if any of you guys have got any thoughts on it, but I really like it. It seems like a cool I, idea. I tested it for them um, and had conversations with the developers about what they were doing and looking at it, and I've reviewed the, the list of words and phrases too, and replacement words um, in English, of course. Uh, for this product. And I think it's brilliant. I know that there are going, especially in the United States, there'll be right-wing people who don't want to be woke or whatever the terminologies are now. Um, And for those people, you can shut it off. You don't have to have it appear on your dashboard. Um, But for the rest of us who like to be inclusive and like to make sure that our writing is non-offensive to the greater majority of our readers, I think it's, it's brilliant. And, and they have a, when I tested it, there was a sample article that I could paste in and you could see what, you know, what those things are that, that, that were popping up, such as like um, a teacher talking to boys and girls, you know, like my teacher used to say, boys and girls settle down. Right. Mm -hmm. But in today's non-binary world where we don't aren't just speaking to boys and girls uh you know it it, it would suggest replacements like children and students and so there's opportunities to make our language much more inclusive uh which you know obviously it's great for seo but it's just more importantly it's just better writing and it's more inclusive writing to make sure that you are are writing for everybody and not just a binary world or an abled world or a whitewashed world. And so I, I thought it was brilliant and I was super excited to be asked to be part of the review of this before it went out to public. Yeah, the, the things that they're looking for, the, the cues that they're looking for, and it, it may be broader than this, but it, it, they're looking for cues against these categories, uh, age, gender, appearance, socioeconomic status. That's quite an interesting one. Uh, race, race ethnicity, I can't, I can't speak today, can I? Race, <laughs> ethnicity, and culture, and disability, and neurodiversity. And, and honestly, when I read that list, it all sounds great. But in my head, I'm thinking, okay, think of an example, Nathan. Luckily, they've given me some, because I'm struggling here. So for example, um, avoid using mankind as it's exclusionary. So we can all, I think, think of other words to put in there. Avoid using poverty-stricken as it's potentially harmful. Consider instead, uh, what does it say? Low income uh, was one of the alternatives suggested. Avoid using retarded as it's derogatory. Consider using an alternative such as uninformed. 
And yeah, they all make sense. There's more. There's a whole bunch more here. And they, they have that Yoast SEO red, green, um, and amber mm-hmm. uh, threshold there. So yeah, really curious. I should say, um, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what what's Yoast's business here? And it, it's not. They they farmed out the the sort of the research into this to somebody called Maxwell Hope, uh, who is from the University of Delaware. So presumably has some chops in this area. Um, so that's, you know, that, I take comfort from that, that they've got somebody who's an, an expert in this area to do it. So uh, anyway, sorry, again, I'm blabbering on. I suspect Amber has something to say specifically here. Yeah, I spent a fair bit of time talking to them about this at WordCamp US. I think it's it's neat. I have not had the opportunity to try it yet. Um, but there are a few kind of in the accessibility space. There's some checkers like Side Improve is a big one that people may have heard of, which also does this kind of language um, talk. And it's and it's interesting to sort of think about what the progression could be on for this. Like where could they take this beyond the ex- the inclusive language, sort of what they've set up, um, because there could be, which they said they don't have right now, but I easily see an adaption where people could add other phrases that they don't want um, that maybe, and then other suggestions for their company, right? So, um, you know, if, if there's certain tech jargon that they're like, we really don't want to write this. And this is the way we say this in our company instead. And so I think that would be a neat way to add that on and expand it where companies could then start having even more sort of brand control over some of the language that people use when they're creating content. So I especially see for like large organizations, uh, universities, uh, very large enterprise businesses, it could be very useful in helping to ensure that everything stays on brand. Um, And of course, I'm definitely in the land of, it's helpful to have prompts as you're writing right? Whether, whether it's an SEO prompt, an accessibility check, right? Or an inclusive language, like it's one thing to have this checklist or this, you know, brand guide that we've created that says, this is how we write content, or this is how we talk about people. Um, And it's another thing to actually have it there reminding you as you're writing the content and not being some separate document you have to go look at. It makes it easier for content creators. And so I think this is a great idea and I'm, I'm very excited about it and to see what the general feedback is from them as they move through their beta. Marcus, anything? Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to test it out, but it sounds like it's just the right amount of integrated, right? I want to still have full control over my content if I want to say something specifically for a reason, but also I want something that tells me like I want to be able to learn, right? So if it's doing it for me and just swapping things out, I don't learn anything. But if it's making suggestions as I go along, then I get to learn as well. So I think it's I think it's the right amount of there. Prompt me, let me know, help me learn from the process, help me correct that in the moment, but then also correct that long term mentally. Yeah, I think that's the curious bit for me as well is the the teaching bit because it may be that by you know just benignly you're writing and some of this stuff creeps in and you really didn't even notice what you were writing might have that flavor to it and just being alerted oh okay that's curious i hadn't really anticipated that just a quick one it's off by default 
So should you be uh, wary of this and you don't wish to have it on, you actually have to go and find it. Um, and it's in the settings. There's a diagram on the in, in the post, which I'll link to in the show notes. Uh, it's in Yoast SEO settings under the features tab, and you have to toggle it on because it's off. And I think it's only in the premium version. At least it, it was says, originally. Yeah, it mm-hmm. definitely says premium next to the little toggle. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's yeah. how it's going to be. In so the if, if you're looking, if you're looking for it and you're using Yoast free version, you may not have that ability. Thank you. Yeah. Good Go point. upgrade. It's worth yeah. it. It's worth yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, mentioned at the beginning, Courtney hopped into the comments right away. Uh, Courtney would would like many many people to go out and fill out a, a, a very short survey. It's called the Individual Learner Survey. I wish I could show you the questions, but in order to progress from the first page, I basically have to on screen put in my uh, email address and all of that kind of stuff. But um, Courtney's described it. She says the Make WordPress training team wants to know how you learn WordPress. What's your preferred learning style and where do you go for training and what you would like to see? Uh, She also says it takes about five to 10 minutes to complete the survey. And so if you have it as, you know, if you would like to make use of learning WordPress uh, information in the future and you want to help the team out, the URL is pretty straightforward. It's learn.wordpress.org forward slash. And then these three words are hyphenated individual learner survey and you can probably google that make dot sorry learn.wordpress.org individual learner survey and it's a pretty quick thing to go through so uh courtney i hope that satisfied that uh, that request just want a quick shout out i hung out with robbie uh from beaver builder over the last couple of days at wordcamp us and then no no sooner had i got back to the uk than he filled my my inbox with his lovely email about what's new in wordpress 2.6 seems like a pretty big update they've got a whole ton of new things they've got integrating with blocks of all things uh reusable blocks micro page templates new breakpoint in global settings google font previews and much more because we're running short of time i'm gonna have to just leave it as simple as that but go over to wpbeaverbuilder.com and search on their log and you'll be able to find this latest update 2.6 very let's not do that one just yeah shall we shall we shall we shall we shall we do that one amber wants no, to do this salary one. i don't know salary might be more fun to talk should, about although the, the the auto-generated okay. images is neat <laughs> i'll do the auto-generated images next time i'll save that away for the next show but uh very cool uh, i'll just quickly say it very quickly uh stability <laughs> ai is a pc version of things like Dali and Midjourney. Uh, it's in beta. You've got to sort of compile it yourself, I think. Uh, haven't actually managed to get onto it, but basically all of that clever image AI stuff that you've seen with third-party services using infrastructure somewhere in the cloud, it's now available on the Mac and the PC, and boy, does it look good. So it's free as well, which we all love. So let's end on this one. Transparency, salary transparency. Why not? Writes Peacher Neri. Peacher Neri must have more or less eroded her keyboard during the course of this one because she's written a gigantic piece. We're going to scratch the surface of this. But basically, she's saying, why don't companies, when they advertise jobs, and obviously some people, some companies do, some companies don't, why don't they tell you what the salary range is? And so from a company point of view, I guess there's certain benefits. You know, if you don't say what the salary range is, who knows what caliber of people you might attract? It might be that, you know, you get some people with very little experience, but you might get people with really unexpectedly massive experience. And you think, hmm, okay, they're probably worth that double the salary of 
this other person over there. However, from the for the person seeking the job, uh, <laughs> you know, you just want to know how much you're likely to get paid. Because at the end of the day, why would you put all of the time into curating your CV and putting together the, all of the unique proposal that you would do, all of the paperwork that you need to submit, if you've got no idea? There's a lovely, lovely little thing in here. I think it was Mike Oliver said that he applied for a job um, went through the four-round stage of the whole thing. I think he got the job and then realized it was $20,000 less than the current job. It's kind of like, oh, okay, it's a bit of a letdown. So I'm going to launch That's, that one see, in. You've got three minutes. Discuss. <laughs> I just have to say, like, not only is that a waste of his time, that's a huge waste of that company's time. Going through four rounds of interviews with a candidate that was in no way going to accept that job. <laughs> yeah. And that's for us. I think in the very beginning, we didn't. I mean, years ago, because we were like, oh, we we don't want people to apply and say they want more money than, you know, like they'll they'll go. It's like the whole weird like this is my budget. They're just going to fill up my budget. Right. <laughs> right. Like that kind of thing that a client might think. And then we had a few instances where we interviewed people and then they told us their salary expectations, not for interviews in because we asked it like on the second one. And we were just like, oh, we have to go back to drawing board. We can't pay these people. And then I was like, this is dumb. We need to just post this is the salary range for this position. And then people will apply for it. And if they don't want to, they won't. And it saves us so much time. Right. And and so I don't understand why other companies don't. I'm just like you yeah. will get much better candidates if you're honest about it. And and if somebody wasn't making that range and they were lower and they're aspiring to it, but they go through your interview process and they're great, who cares that you're suddenly giving them a twenty or thirty thousand dollar bump in their salary, right? Like mm. it shouldn't matter. <laughs> And there are places where it is required by law. In the United States, there are states. So we were based in Colorado. In Colorado, you are it is required by law to post salary when you post a job. So anyone in the United States, if you're hiring and you're accepting candidates from Colorado and you don't post that, you are violating the law. <laughs> so if you, <laughs> you are posting a, a distributed job and your company is mm -hmm. based in Colorado, you are breaking the law. No, not if you're... Well, it's not just if your company is based in Colorado. If you are oh. allowing applicants from the state from of Colorado, Colorado to apply to your oh, job, I see. Yeah. then okay, okay. you are breaking the law. Yeah. And you could get in trouble with the state of Colorado if an applicant reports your job posting. So literally, uh, that effectively means any distributed job in the United States should have a salary posted on it. Hmm. Unless you're explicitly saying Colorado applicants cannot apply. I feel, um, I feel Peach's stirred up a hornet's nest here but which we don't have time to bat back um but we're also running out of time so unless michelle and marcus have got something crucial to say i know your time's precious and i don't want to use more of it than you've allocated to me so unless marcus and michelle have something to say i'll knock it on the head i couldn't say it in two minutes so we'll okay. have to circle back <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah okay well there's a couple for next time we can definitely yeah. restore those um that's it I believe. Thank you very much, Jess Frick. Breaking the law, breaking the law. Here's a weird thing, just very quickly before we end. You guys in America are far happier talking about money than we are. We are so incapable of talking about what we earn and things like that. It's like you wouldn't even tell your mother what you earn. It's so weird. Um, so anyway, Do you that. post salaries in the UK? Yeah, but like the only people whose salaries you know are people who work for the government like, you know, teachers and what have you, because there's a statutory 
there's a statutory amount. And so you could, if you really wanted to, go and look and see that, okay, you've, they've been working for 12 years as a teacher. That's the kind of classroom that they've got. I know what they earn. But nobody else will tell anybody else. It's like, it's like completely taboo. You never say, what's your salary? So you think like Ooh. Buffer is weird. You can go on Buffer's website and see the salary yeah. of every single employee. I don't, I don't, <laughs> and I don't, that terrifies you. I don't really know how it happened. But I remember being in the US and, and, and got into a conversation where a bunch of Americans were telling each other what they earned. And I was like, <gasps> this is voodoo. <laughs> Stay away from the subject. Anyway, sorry, I've digressed again. Thank you so much to Michelle Frechette for joining us for the, well, I don't know, 400th time or something. It's been a pleasure having you back. Thank you. Marcus yeah. Burnett, hope to see you back one day. Thanks for your contributions very much. And Amber Hines, it turns out, Amber, you couldn't have been better placed to come on this show. It was like the perfect <laughs> no. the perfect one for you. So uh, I reached out to her at 2 a.m. We were having a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate it. We were both awake. Yeah, and I, I hope that uh, I hope that Sean's feeling better. But if you want to, yes, if you want to listen to this, we'll have it posted out on the website tomorrow. But uh, for now, thanks for joining us. Oh no, we've got to do the wave. Uh, if everybody would raise their hands, I forgot about the wave. I know it's, I know it's awful. I know it's horrible. I know. Oh look, Amber's just yay! I got it. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Thanks for all the comments, guys. Take it easy. <laughs>